This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Are you doing good? I hope you've had a good week. I hope that your Christmas decorations are not yet up. No one's admitting. No one's admitting that I can see. I had... Um, I had an interesting conversation with a friend this week where he told me about a conversation we'd had a few years ago and he told me about what I said in the conversation and some advice that I gave in the conversation and thankfully the advice sounded good but what unsettled me about the conversation was that I had no recollection of saying it. I had no recollection of giving that advice. I had no recollection that we'd had that conversation and for me that unsettled me because I've always thought I've got a good memory I've always kind of prided myself on, on my memory, and I've got particularly got a good memory when it comes to dates. And um, for me, this is really fun, because my husband doesn't quite have the same memory for dates that I have. And so um, sometimes people ask things like, oh, how long have you been married? And I kind of sit back with a slightly smug look on my face and watch him sweat a little bit and try and work it out and hazard some kind of educated guess. In fact, one time he really surprised me because he, he told someone the exact date of our wedding and then he said that was when Liverpool beat Chelsea in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. <laughs> That's why he remembers the date. <laughs> just, about, uh, uh, just in the last month, in fact, we were in a, um, a staff meeting with Pays, the charity that we run, and um, we were talking about this conference that we're doing in February. We were going over all the detail. And then he said, then at the end of that week, on the Saturday, I'm going to go down south and talk to some churches there. And I kind of stopped him and I said, hang on a sec, Saturday the 18th of February. And he looked puzzled, like, it's just a Saturday. And um, I, I sort of paused and gave him a chance, kind of willing, willing him to, to realize something. And then one of our other staff members said, isn't that your daughter's birthday? <laughs> and then he realized there might be a clash that we still need to work out. But memory is a funny thing, isn't it? And so sometimes, in order to not forget, we have to put things into place. Things like perhaps writing your daughter's birthday in your diary might be a good example. But that's why we have Remembrance Day, for example, lest we forget. Because there is something that we must not forget. And this morning, I want to talk about a moment in history... A moment in the life of the early church where the early church leaders said there is something that we must not forget. There is someone that we must not forget. There is a group of people that we must remember. And this moment is recorded for us in the book of Galatians. Galatians is a letter written by Paul, an early church leader, to, to the Christians in Galatia. And in the, it's in the, found in the second chapter of the book. And in, in this chapter, Paul is describing something that took place in the, the first few decades after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and, and the church was born. And he's describing this moment where some of the early church leaders decided they should go and take the message of Jesus to the Jewish people, and that some of the early church leaders should take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. That's the word for everyone else. Everyone else. And so they have this moment, and it's a really significant moment in the life of the early church, where they realize that Jesus, this Jewish carpenter, is the Messiah who came not just for the Jewish people, but for everyone and so Paul is describing this moment where Peter, James, and John agreed they'd go 
to the Jews, and that Paul and Barnabas would go to the Gentiles. And this is what he says, Galatians 2, starting in verse 9. It says, They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the Jews. In verse 10, All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do all along. At a time of deciding what it means to be Christian, at a time of working out what of the Jewish heritage should be continued and what shouldn't be, these early church leaders make it very clear that the followers of Jesus remember the poor. And as, we, as we'll see this morning, in this sense, to remember is not simply not to forget. It's not simply to have one day in the year where we take a couple of minutes to pause and to think about the plight of the poor, but it's an active word. It means to care for, to provide for, to speak for, to share with, to stand with, because the followers of Jesus remember the poor. And as I was reflecting this week, I realized we kind of, sometimes we overuse or misuse this word poor. Sometimes perhaps if you talk about the performance of your sporting team, you'll say, well, that was a poor result. That was poor defending. That was poor performance. We kind of use this word, we exchange it for the word bad. But to be poor doesn't equate to being bad. It doesn't equate to being of lesser value. In the same way that To have resource and ability to care for the poor doesn't elevate us to some kind of superior status. It doesn't make us the saviour, it doesn't make us the hero. Sometimes I don't know if you hear yourself saying, oh, I I, I can't come out for that meal because I'm a bit poor at the moment. Meaning like you've just got back from a holiday and you've not got as much disposable income. Or it's a few days till payday and the bank balance is a bit low. But you still have food. And you still have clean water. And you still have safe shelter and access to medical care and education. There's this moment in history, in the life of the early church, where these leaders make it very clear that the followers of Jesus, they remember the poor. They stand with the poor. They share with the poor. And I find it fascinating where we find this verse. Because it's in the middle of Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2, to me, Paul is having a rant. I love the passion with which Paul writes. I love to read his passion. I don't know if I'd like to meet him in a dark alley. I'm not sure I'd like to meet anyone in a dark alley, to be fair. It's not a good meeting place, is it? But he writes with such passion. He's so committed to this. And he starts the chapter with... um, his, his introduction, like he does many of his letters, grace and peace be to you. I, I thank my God for all of you. I long to come to you. And then he launches into his rant. And it's, there's two things that he's addressing in these chapters. One is that our salvation, being saved from sin and death, forgiveness of God, eternal life, does not come through the things that we do. It doesn't come through our deeds. It doesn't come through being a good person. But it comes through faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's making this clear because the Galatians were getting a little bit confused and were starting to want to go back to how they knew. But he's making it clear that you are saved from all of that, not by your works, but by grace. 
And the other thing that he is getting across in these chapters is that he encountered Jesus. You see, Paul wasn't like many of the other early church leaders that we read about in Acts because he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus and learned from Jesus and would have seen Jesus crucified. In fact, the first that we hear about Paul is after the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. The first we hear about him is he's he's persecuting Christians. He's full of hate and aggression and violence. He's arresting those who are preaching this message and following Jesus. That's the first that we hear about him. And then one day he's on a journey and he's knocked off his horse by this incredible bright light. And he has an encounter with the risen Jesus. He sees who Jesus is and he is transformed. He is changed. And he goes from being the one who's persecuting Christians to to spreading this message, to preaching about Jesus, to seeing people come to faith in him. He has this moment of transformation because he encountered Jesus. And there were some that were kind of doubting his authority. There were some who were kind of questioning his place because he wasn't one of these others. He wasn't Peter, James, or John. He wasn't one of the ones that had learned from Jesus. And he's kind of almost defending himself saying, I encountered Jesus. I've encountered Jesus. And so I find it so fascinating that in the midst of making those two points, he says, all they... All they wanted to make sure was that we continued to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. What I hear from these words of Paul is that to remember the poor is not to earn your salvation, but that it results from relationship with Jesus. You don't have to. You don't have to. But when you get to know Jesus... In relationship with God, when you start to understand what he's like, when you start to understand what he cares about, when you start to hear what bothers him, then you start to be moved by the things that move him. You start to grieve over the things that grieve him. You start to grasp what his heart is like. So you don't have to, but when you encounter Jesus, it's impossible not to. Paul says... That we should continue to remember the poor. And this is a legacy of our faith. This is a legacy of our faith that we see throughout Scripture, that we see throughout the Bible right from the beginning because it originates in the heart of God. My challenge this morning to, my, to me and to you and to us as a community is to continue this legacy. So we see this legacy right at the start of the Bible in in Leviticus. Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. We see this legacy in the origins of Israel. And in this book of Leviticus, there are laws and boundaries and guidelines that God is giving to his people. He's saying this is how your community should run. This is how the nation should be established. This is how things should work. This is how you should operate. In Leviticus 23 verse 22 he says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, it's an agricultural society, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner among you. He says, I am the Lord your God. As the nation of Israel is established, 
practices were instituted to make sure that they remembered the poor. This legacy right at the start of the history of the people of God. And this practice was a public practice. It was a public practice. You wouldn't have had to know a person to know this about them. You wouldn't have had to be up close to someone to see that they were providing for the poor. Just a quick glance across their land would have shown you that they had concern for the poor, that in this community the poor are shared with. This practice that just at the edge of the field, you don't harvest there because there must be provision for the poor. The thing about public giving is that it inspires others to give. Public giving inspires other people to give. It raises awareness that there is a need. It says there is something not right here and we've got to do something. It raises the awareness that there's someone to be remembered. It gives an example of how and it inspires others to do the same because public giving inspires others to give. Now I recognize that Jesus, when he was teaching and preaching, said you mustn't let your left hand know what even your right hand is doing when it comes to giving. He talks about giving in private. But in that instance, he is addressing a particular issue, which was those who were giving so that they got the glory. Those that that wanted the attention and the praise of, look what I do. He was speaking to a specific issue. And if your giving is about people looking at you, then don't go public. But if it's about raising awareness that there are people we must not forget, that there is a need. This is a way you can meet this need and inspiring others to do the same because public giving inspires others. And so as the nation of Israel is established, these practices were instituted to ensure that they remembered the poor. Right from the start, responsibility for the poor was given to the people of God. And I wonder with the development of local and national governments if we've forgotten our responsibility to the poor. You know, I wonder what global poverty might look like if we spent a little less time criticizing political leaders for what they don't do for those in need and more time actively engaged in remembering the poor. I wonder what this world would look like. So we see this legacy in the origins of Israel, and we see it in the words of the prophets. In the Old Testament, in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, he asks the question, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. (coughs) In the New Living Translation, for this phrase, act justly, it says, do what is right. What does the Lord require of you? To do what is right. And poverty is not right. It is not how it should be. It is not how things are meant to be. And it is not how things will be when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And restores all things and makes things right. And so when you do what is right, it is a prophetic statement of how things should be. It is a prophetic picture of the future. 
is a prophetic statement of how things should be. When you provide a a meal for a family without food, it is a prophetic picture of the day that is coming when there will be no more hunger. He says, what does the Lord require of you to love, to act justly? He says, and to love mercy. Mercy, the word translated for mercy for us here is this beautiful ancient Hebrew word, hesed, which can be understood as the steadfast and undeserved kindness of God. It's unwavering and it's unconditional. God says, love the way that I do it. Love the way that I love. Give the way that I give. And yet, how easy it is for us, maybe just for me, to find people undeserving, to put conditions on our giving and our generosity. It says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, which recognizes who we are before him. It recognizes that all we have is from him, not so that we might indulge in excess, but so that we might continue this legacy of remembering the poor, this legacy that we see in the origins of Israel. We see it in the words of the prophets, and we see it in the wisdom of the Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, we see this legacy In chapter 14, verse 31, it says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Chapter 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And here we see that it's just not possible to detach our attitudes and our actions towards the poor from our relationship with God. That we can't separate those two things. The followers of Jesus remember the poor. God identifies himself with the poor. He begins to build this beautiful picture that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 when he says, whatever you do for the least of these... Whatever you do for the hungry and the thirsty, for the lonely, for the sick, for those who are in prison, it is as if you you do it for me. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. What an incredible image for when we do something to help someone in need. It is as if we do it for Jesus himself. To remember the poor is to honor God. We can't separate our relationship with God with our attitude and our actions towards those who are in need, those who are trapped in poverty. In Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. The responsibility of the people of God is to point the finger at poverty and say it is not okay. It is to stand with those who are trapped in poverty, to speak for those who are trapped in poverty and say this is not okay. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like someone stood up for you, where you feel like someone has spoken out for you. If you've been in that situation, I don't know if you've kind of experienced the emotion of that. Wow, someone stood for me. 
Someone said, it's not okay that that just happened. It's not okay that someone spoke to you like that. or It's not okay that you were treated like that. You don't deserve that. And when we stand with the poor, when we speak for the poor, it brings freedom and liberation to those who are trapped to say, this is not okay. You do not deserve this. This is not okay. It restores value and dignity to humanity. Our responsibility is not just to speak, but to act. As we see in the life of the early church, we see this legacy in the origins of Israel and in the words of the prophets and in the wisdom of the Proverbs and in the beauty of the early church. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. It's this compelling picture of relationship and community, of giving to those who are in need, of sharing from those who have more than enough. Those who had more than enough shared with those who were in need. They didn't just transfer the poverty, but they distributed the resources. The thing is, there is enough food produced in the world for there to be no hunger. It just isn't distributed evenly. It just isn't shared. It's an issue of sharing. It's the issue that we teach our toddlers And yet it's the issue that means 795 million people do not have enough food to eat. It's an issue of sharing, of remembering the poor. My challenge this morning to me and to you as as a community is to continue this legacy of faith. It's to continue this legacy of our faith that we see in the heart of God And throughout the story of his people, that this Christmas, we'd remember the poor. And I have for you just a few suggestions of things that you could do to remember the poor. Particularly this Christmas time. And the first one, it should be on the screen for us, is to pack a shoebox. Through this incredible organization called Operation Christmas Child... For just £18 and about five minutes of your time, you can send a shoebox of gifts to a child in another country who this Christmas otherwise would get nothing. It's a combination of toys and then some essentials like a toothbrush and toothpaste and writing materials. But you could pack a shoebox this Christmas. Another suggestion. The... World Food Programme, as part of the United Nations, have developed this app called Share the Meal. And if you download this app, then for just £2.45, you could feed one hungry child for a whole week. So far, they've, through this app, uh, nine million meals have been shared with hungry people. So a friend of mine decided she'd download this app and every time she went for a meal went out for a meal with friends or with her husband she'd share a meal 
something simple, less than a pound, she'd share a meal with someone in hunger, someone in poverty. Another idea is to buy a goat. World Vision is just one of a number of organizations who you can choose to give something really meaningful at Christmas instead of perhaps another pair of socks or some smellies or the thing you don't want that ends up at the charity shop just a few days later. Well, that's me. As soon as they open, if I don't want it, there it is. No one's going to buy me a gift now, are they? So I'm really ungrateful. <laughs> but through this, you can, um, they say, chickens, animals, coats, so someone can be warm through the winter. Why don't... I don't suggest you buy it for someone that hasn't asked for it. Uh, I suggest that when someone comes to you and says, what would you like this Christmas? You say, well, you know, I'd like some educational supplies for a child that can't access that. I'd like a warm coat or some vaccinations instead of something more that perhaps probably you don't really need. The fourth way that you could remember the poor this Christmas or you could stand with those who are in need, is through Brighter Future School, the school that we fund and run as a church in Pakistan. And it's just for just £10 a month, you can provide education for a child who would otherwise not access education. And they get a uniform, they get teaching, uh, or the kind of teaching materials, they get a snack during the school day, they learn to read and write. That's just £10 a month. The other three are online. If the, for this one, if you're interested, you can visit reception or speak to George, who heads that up. My challenge to us, and they're just some ideas that I try and get involved in. They're not the only way. I think the thing that they speak to me is that it is not difficult. And it costs. And maybe you might not feel like you've got any money left over. Maybe we need to choose to sacrifice, to stand with the poor, to those who are in need. My challenge this morning is to continue this legacy. My challenge to each one of us sat in this room is to do one thing. My challenge this week is to do something and then to share it. Because public giving inspires others. You might want to tell your friends and your family. You might want to post about it on social media. And you can hashtag lifelanks. But just imagine the impact if every one of us in this room did one thing. Did one thing. 200 lives could be impacted. And then imagine the impact if every one of us inspired others and just five of our friends or our Facebook friends did something to remember the poor this Christmas. Then a thousand lives could be impacted by not very much cost to us. Now when you hold a thousand lives up to the global problem, it's not even a drip in the ocean. But for those individual people, for every one of those individual people, it's everything that someone was willing to stand up and say it's not okay. Someone was willing to stand with them and say it's not okay. And because of that, they have a full tummy. Because of that, they have warmth for the winter. Because of that, they can go to school. The purpose of Life Church is to impact our neighbor and our nation and the nations leading people to become fully devoted 
followers of Jesus. As we remember the poor, we impact our neighbor and our nation and the nations. As we remember the poor, we paint a prophetic picture of the glorious future of when Jesus returns and makes all things new and all things right, where suffering and oppression and hunger and poverty have no place. As we remember the poor, we restore dignity to people, precious people created in the image of God. We represent the heart of God and we carry on this legacy of faith. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.